Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Robert Sims, a teller in a Jersey City bank, 
has, for reasons known best to him, insinuated himself into the friendship of Frank Barton, a prominent young businessman, and a depositor in King's Bank. Barton, liking the young man, has invited him to a dance at the country club. You're not fun dancing, Bobby. Oh, just saving enough energy to stand on my feet all day in that fellow's cage at the bank tomorrow. What's the matter? Aren't you enjoying yourself? Sure I am, Frank. I'm having a swell time. It was awfully decent of you to ask me out here. Yeah, at all. We're friends, aren't we? Yes, we are. You're a real friend, and I want you to know how much I appreciate all you've done for me. Now, nobody should be sure of things unless they put it to a real case. Or the old saying, a friend but fear a friend's infirmity. I wonder if you'd still be my friend if you knew all my infirmities. <laughs> I'll take a chance on you anytime. I wish I was sure. What's that? Oh, nothing, nothing. Well, come on. Let's get another highball. All right, let's go. Hey, Frank. Look at that beautiful blonde just coming in. Yeah, I see her. Who is she? Name's Mary Ross. Do you know her? Yes, likely. Hey, introduce me, will you? I'd like to know her well. Oh, darling. I'm so sorry I'm late. I couldn't get away from the family any sooner. You're not angry, dear, are you? Not at all, Mary. I'll take my wraps in and I'll be with you in just a few All right, darling. Oh, that's why you didn't introduce me, eh? You old philanderer, Frank. You're a respectable married man. Now, just a minute. This is different from what you think. Now, I understand all right, and I congratulate you. He certainly is gorgeous. Wait a minute, Bob. You don't understand. Now, listen. Let's step out here on the balcony for a moment. I'm going to place a confidence in you that I would never trust to another man. As the cold moon senses the shadows between men on the deserted balcony, fate sends the first mesh of a web, destined to entrap three souls, sending a woman to her death and two men to prison. For 15 minutes, Frank Barton seeks to explain his position to his friend, seeks to justify his actions to himself. You've got to understand me, Bob. I was married when I was just a kid. You know what is just puppy love. One other was thing. And if it hadn't been for my little daughter, I'd have gotten a divorce years ago. As it was, I was more or less satisfied to let things slide along. That was before Mary came. Then I really got to know what love was. Sure, Frank, that the 400000 you told me Mary was going to inherit hasn't influenced you? Not a bit. I'd love her if she were penniless. Say, I didn't expect you to say a thing like oh, that. Oh, now, don't get excited, Frank, I believe you. Thanks, I hope you would. Well, I, I trust I haven't bored you to death. Why, of course not. <laughs> you know, they say that confession is good for the soul. Yes, you bet it is. While we're on the subject of confessions, I've got one to make. I'm in a terrible hole at the bank. What do you mean? I mean that I stole a thousand dollars from you. A thousand dollars from me? Well, what are you talking about? Well, I needed money. I couldn't live on the measly pittance they call a salary. Well, I took a thousand dollars. The bank examiners were coming, and I was desperate. I drew a thousand dollars from your account to cover my debt. You mean that you embezzled bank funds have been covered from my account? Yes. So that you're nothing but a common thief. Yes, if you want to call me that. It makes us sort of equal, Frank. The only difference is that I stole money and you stole love. Well, well why don't you say something? What are you going to do about it? Ten minutes ago, you were holding forth on friendship. You said you'd take a chance on me any old time. 
I'll pay the money back, every cent of it, if you only give me a chance. Well, that's why you tried to build up a friendship between you. Yes, huh? that's why. Because I thought you would be my friend. You've got to help me. Oh, now, wait a minute. Meet me tomorrow night at Tony's, and we'll work out something. You mean you won't tell the bank? Well, I'm not promising anything now. No, if you'll only help me this once, Frank, I'll do anything for you. Anything. <laughs> Drunk into the house like you did last night. I'm going to beat you to a pulp. Now, hey, listen. 
Mary is my wife to all your respectable friends. You seem to forget that you're only the lodger here. Why, you dirty rat. Quiet. Mary is coming. If you make any breaks in front of her, you're going to be sorry. Well, hello, Mary. Hello, Frank. Hello, Bob. How do you feel? Oh, not so hot, Mary. I've just been getting a moral lecture from Frank. Well, I don't wonder, Bob. Oh, I guess he's right, and I'm sorry. I'll, I'm going to lay off the liquor. I, I promise, really, I am. Thanks, Bob. I'm sure you'll keep your word this time. Sure, I will. And say, Frank, how about that doll? Okay, here's $20. Now, listen. We're having the leads over tonight for an evening of cards. And try and be there, will you? It's pretty hard to keep on explaining the absence of the alleged husband of a household. Oh, I'll be here. I'll be back about 8 o'clock. Nine o'clock. Ten o'clock comes and goes. The card game proceeds as Mary gallantly tries to pass off her husband's absence to her friends by explaining that he syndicated the office by a big deal he is closing. Then at ten thirty.
I promise not to prosecute you. All I want from you is a statement. Mrs. Sims understands that, but I've advised her not to make any statements. Why, you shyster. I'll be careful what you say. You've no right to so what? <laughs> Take your principal witness? <laughs> Sorry, old man. Well, I'll object. I'll have you disbarred. Well, Quiet, the commissioner. Your Honor, I am appearing for the two defendants in this case, as well as the woman held as material witness. And uh, as I was called in on this case only two hours ago, I'd, I'd like a little time to confer with my class. You worked pretty fast in those two hours. I'm surprised you haven't prepared your case, too. Your Honor, I'm quite willing to proceed. Now, the prosecuting attorney will stipulate whether... The California statute, which does not permit a wife to testify against her husband, also holds good in federal court. Mr. Prosecutor, you're very familiar with the rule in Your Honor, I, I do not see how this has any bearing on the case. The counsel for the defense has willfully devoted the course of justice in bribing... I object, Your Honor. I've acted merely in my capacity as counsel for the defense. I beg the court's pardon. Your Honor, I have not had precisely the same question arise before. If the court pleases to give me a little time, I... Please continue until Monday at 10 a.m. The defense attorney's new point of law successfully ties up the proceedings. His next move is to go bond for Mary Ross. But when the bonding agent appears at the county jail, she is not there. Suspecting attempts to influence his witness, the attorney obtains a writ of habeas corpus from federal judge Paul J. McCormick. And by 10.30 that evening, Mary Ross is delivered into his hands. But the following Monday, at the Glendale Sanitarium, Mary Ross is found dead. Chester Allen of the homicide detail of the sheriff's office takes over the case. How did Mary Ross meet her death? Allen questions Barton and Sims, realizing that the inheritance of $400,000 which she was soon to receive might have been a motive for their interest in her death. Both men acquit themselves on this score. Painstaking investigations reveal that Mary had a slight cold sore on her lips when she and the attorney met Thursday evening. That the sore was worse on Friday when she appeared before the grand jury and refused to make a statement. That she went to the Glendale Sanitarium Saturday morning. That she talked to her attorney at the sanitarium Saturday afternoon and asked him to send each for her brother. That she made a will stipulating that Sims was to get none of her inheritance and that Barton and her brothers were to share it equally. The mystery ends in the grand jury's opinion that Mary Ross had died from an infection contracted through a cold sore on her lips. And the investigation stops until Mary's brother arrives in California. He is not content with the grand jury's verdict. He orders the body assumed and an autopsy performed. The autopsy reveals that Mary Ross met her death from poisoning. Allen and his colleagues ponder this new development. Now, here's the situation, boys. Barton and Sims are out of the question. This Sims is a rat, but he didn't have had the girl poisoned. He shouldn't have. He was in the county jail. Barton loves her too much. He's on the level. Yeah, that's right. 
But she could have received the wound during that fight at the apartment. Mm, yes, she could have, but we've got no report that she was wounded in the fight. Oh, it's right to heaven. Of course, she was in the tank at the county jail. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Her attorney testified that she said that the women down there had treated her brutally. Oh, he did. Well, now, there's an angle. You know what those names are, huh? Well, let's ask the matron about this. Mrs. Sullivan, matron at the county jail, offers the officers every cooperation in their investigation. Painstakingly, they questioned the women who had contacted Mary during her three days in jail. After hours of interrogation, the officers have found nothing. They are questioning a shoplifter. You were in the tank with Mrs. Sims? Sure I was. What of it? Did she act strangely? Oh, no. She acted like any high-hat Jane does the first time she's in the posy. What do you mean by that? Oh, trying to rich everybody. Like she was better than, than we was, a dirty little snitcher. She's got a lot of be proud of squealing on her own man. <laughs> we're not here to discuss jail ethics. Did she ever say that she was going to end her life? No. She says when she got out, she was going to show Bob and how sorry she was that she spilled a bean. Oh, all right. Take her away. Bring in Pearl Washington. Well, we didn't get very far with that one. No, but maybe we'll have better luck with this colored girl. You were with Mrs. Sims up until the time she was ill, weren't you? So I was. But Dad won my season. He got what was coming to her that he did nothing to them stealing. I wasn't asking for any of you. Oh, but I'll give you mine. Listen, what do you know about this poison? You're with her every minute. I don't know nothing. And if I did, I ain't gonna know this. Oh, yes, you are. First thing you know, you're going to be pulled in on a murder charge. A murder charge? I didn't have nothing to do with that. That's who did? Nobody, as I know. It just happened, that's all. Oh, we know it happened, all right. I think we'll book you if you don't tell us what you know. No, I didn't. Book me for murder. Look at here. I'm a respectable pickpocket. I, I ain't no murderer. Well, let's have a truth, then. Well, day before court, that girl asked us for some lipstick. And nobody give her none. Yo, Smith. Then one-eyed Maggie, she picks a sock at her. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> what a lamb, and she gives that blonde girl. You remember Mrs. Sims and Maggie got into a fight? Yeah. Then the matron come and she spoiled everything. She put some ointment on the blonde girl's lips, the way it got sweat. Well, what's all this got to do with her getting poisoned? Wait a minute, big boy, wait a minute. I'm coming to bed. She wanted lipstick, so she could look nice for her fella down the coast. Well, after all, the row cleared up. Nobody given on she. So she picked up one of them artificial roses that we make out of a red paper. And she whistled. And she rubbed the red on her lips. She gave the lipstick. Well? The MSC knew that the dye and the red paper and poison. She didn't swallow any of it, did she? No, sir, but I've got to figure out that some of that dye in the, in the paper, you know, of those uh, roses that we make, got in the store, and uh, she had it on her lips. <laughs> Backwards, the investigators discover that the poison in the dye used in the red flowers is the same as the poison that caused the death of Mary Ross. So the death of the love trapped girl could be blamed on no one. Could be blamed only on her great love for Barton, for whom she threw away social position, respect, and everything. But there still remains to be told the disposition of the plotters of this bizarre case. Sims, after much bargaining, turned state evidence and assist investigators in acquiring sufficient evidence to convict Boston. 
Jim startled to himself as the jury filed back into the courtroom after having been out for 20 minutes. He anticipates the life he will lead on the $400,000 he will inherit from his legal, if not actual, wife. You reach the verdict? We have, Your Honor. Read the verdict. We find the defendant, Frank Barton, guilty of conspiracy to defeat the federal statute and the violation of the Man Act. Well, I guess that lets me out. Well, I guess I'm not so dumb turning state's evidence. Tough on poor Frank, but I sure saved my neck. Well, so long, attorney, for the defense. You seen that man? Well, what for, Your Honor? I've committed no crime. I, I married the girl in name only. I've done nothing. I understand that. Married the girl in name only. She was never really your wife. You testified to that in this courtroom. Therefore, you are an accessory to the crime. You helped the defendant here in an effort to obtain the man I also understand that you have made quite a statement regarding your anticipation of sharing in the inheritance of your late wife in name only. May I point out to you that if the jury which tried your case tomorrow finds you guilty, you will also automatically give up all claims to the estate of your late legal wife. Sims went on trial and was found guilty. In view of his turning state's evidence, the court sentenced him to the two years in Leavenworth Penitentiary, while Barton received two and a half years. This case is an interesting example of the interrelation between the federal, county, and municipal police organizations, and points once more the eternal moral that should be graven in the minds of every youth in the land. The old time-worn but everlastingly true maxim crime does not pay, be it murder, robbery, forgery, or only a violation of the city ordinance. You cannot beat the law. Crime does not pay. Ladies and gentlemen, you are too modest in your claims for Rio Grande cracked gasoline with Petra Ethel, an enthusiastic motorist writer. That is a policy of Rio Grande to tell you only the facts about cracked gasoline. That is why we just remind you that the cracking process produces a gasoline that averages 10 points higher in natural anti-knock quality than gasoline which are not cracked. But cracked was a forerunner in adding such a ethyl These statements would mean very little if it were not for this proof of the superior acceptance of Rio Grande cracked. Here it is. More police cars, fire engines, motorcycles, and ambulances operated by cities and counties in Southern California and Arizona are powered with Rio Grande cracks with tetraethyl than all other brands combined. Try Rio Grande cracks for 30 days. Make every test. If you are like thousands of other motorists, you will never change back. Police calling all cars, attention all cars, cancellation broadcast 19, mystery of the poison woman solved. That's all, rules and clips. This is 
Frederick Lindsay saying goodnight for the Rio Grande Oil Company.